Are you ready for some more XFL? I'm sure you are. Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 46th episode. The XFL supplementary draft took place on New Year's Day. In this podcast, I will speak with Greg Parks. Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com contributor who writes about the league as a whole. He's also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, PWTorch.com. Greg talks about the supplementary draft and recaps some of the more interesting player selections. Greg also remarks on how many players have jumped from the USFL to the XFL and comments on the league's relationship with the NFL Alumni Academy and how it looks as if the league is attempting to repair that relationship. Finally, we discuss the lack of a season schedule and how that may be impacting ticket sales. This episode is called 47 Days. It features Greg Parks giving us an idea of where the XFL stands with 47 days remaining until the opening kickoff. Are you ready? As usual, we won't waste any time. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Greg Parks to the podcast. Now, Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com contributor who writes about the league as a whole. He is also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, PWTorch.com. Welcome, Greg. Uh, good to be here again, Mark. Great to hear from you again, and I'd like to wish you a happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you. Happy holidays. I know we were just talking off air that, you know, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, and we're going to be going back to school soon, both in very different ways, but <laughs> going back to school soon after having a long break, so Today's one of those days where you, you get everything done that you can before it's time to go back, and that includes podcasting. Oh, for sure. Now, yeah, yeah you took the words right out of my mouth, but thank you very much for that. That's great. Now, um, today is a day to talk about the XFL because the supplemental draft was yesterday, and it was quite interesting, in my opinion. Um, and it was on January 1st, which is kind of an odd date, and consisted of 17 rounds with a total of 90 players selected. But why January 1st? Yeah, I, I don't know the reason. Obviously, they wanted to wait until after the new year when USFL contracts expired and they could draft those players and get them in before training camp. We know that in November for the draft that teams left a lot of, you know, they, they could carry a maximum of 66 players into camp. And most teams drafted somewhere in the neighborhood of 56 to 60 players in November. So those teams knew that there was going to be a supplemental draft before training camp started where they could fill out the rest of their roster with USFL players, with players who are NFL free agents who, for whatever reason, did not put their name in the draft pool for the November draft, but could be talked into it for the supplemental draft and just other players, you know, the players who were in the draft pool in November and who were not drafted were transferred over to the supplemental draft pool. You had a couple of players who participated in summer showcases over the summer who were drafted, I think only two or three, but a couple of them were drafted in the supplemental draft. So those players would have been in the November draft pool as well. Uh, you know, my thinking is that, with players reporting to training camp on January 6th, which is later this week, the supplemental draft had to be held somewhere between January 1st and 
January 6th in order to get a full complement of players, the full 66 man roster into training camp on the 6th, you know, doing the physicals, getting fitted for helmets and uniforms and all of that sort of behind the scenes stuff that you don't think about that players have to do when they come to training camp. And for NFL teams, it may only take a few days, but for XFL teams where where the whole process is new, it's centralized in Arlington. It's going to take a while to get those players and, and get their contracts signed and all that stuff. So, um, they may need a longer lead time from when they arrive at training camp to when practices actually begin. And so they had a very short window to, to get all this done in. So uh, January 1st allows the XFL to uh, have these players to uh, allow the players to take care of business at home before they fly out to Arlington. It allows um, XFL management and player personnel to get these players train uh, plane tickets and get their travel situated so that they can bring them to Arlington by January 6th. So the earlier, the better for all the logistical stuff that has to take place behind the scenes. Yeah. So as you pointed out, there is a rush to get this done. So January 1st had to be part of that. Now, as you pointed out on Twitter, the worst kept secret in the XFL was that quarterback Brian Scott would be headed to the Vegas Vipers. And doing so once his USFL contract expired at the end of 2022. Now, most teams appear to be appear ready to carry three quarterbacks in the training camp, I think you wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like the Brahmas, I believe, are still the only team with four. Um, the Vipers now have three. They've got Luis Perez and Jalen McClendon along with Brian Scott now. A couple of teams only have two. D.C. defenders only have two. There were rumors that Jordan Tayamu would also be assigned and he would be assigned to D.C. That didn't happen. Not sure why, whether he chose to return to the USFL or whether he will be announced as an assigned quarterback at some point in the future. Uh, And the Seattle Sea Dragons only have two. Steven Montez, one of the quarterbacks they were assigned in November, signed with the Detroit Lions practice squad. And uh, the Sea Dragons did not get another quarterback assigned prior to the supplemental draft. So they may be anticipating Montez returning uh, once his time on Detroit's practice squad expires. Detroit may try to sign him to a futures deal, but I know that Mike Mitchell has reported that it's um, likely that Montez would choose to return to the XFL, perhaps, rather than sign a futures deal. Of course, it gets complicated because Detroit was is now in the hunt for an NFL playoff berth. And if they make the playoffs, that's another week at least that Montez will be on the practice squad and another week that he may not get practice time with the Sea Dragons. So that could complicate matters a little bit, depending on how far Detroit goes into the playoffs, if they make the playoffs. But by not having another quarterback assigned to them, it seems like Seattle seems pretty confident that they're going to get Montez back for the bulk of training camp anyway. We've seen this all before. We saw this back in 2020, where this time of the uh, when training camp appeared then there was a lot of still a lot of movement of players and including some quarterbacks that went from from camp to camp uh we're likely to see that again right i would assume so you know injuries performance can play a part and there's still a a group of quarterbacks who were in the draft pool who were in the supplemental draft pool who are not selected and presumably those quarterbacks in addition to any quarterbacks that become available in the interim would be available to XFL teams 
if in training camp for injury or performance issues with, with the players they have on their roster. So uh, the game of musical chairs roster wise is not over. And that goes for quarterbacks and that goes for any other position. This 66 man roster is what teams will carry into training camp. But just like NFL teams, they churn uh, their roster, especially the bottom of the roster through uh, NFL training camps. I would say the situation is, is similar, if not exacerbated for XFL teams, because NFL teams, you know, for, for much of their roster, that roster is set. You know, they, they are familiar with the players. It's a lot of carryover from previous seasons. But with the XFL, there is no carryover. The entire roster is brand new. So uh, that could require a lot more churn to that roster up and down than it would NFL teams. So uh, we'll see how many. It's, it's a smaller roster compared to NFL teams. NFL teams have 90 players in training camp. XFL teams with just 66 plus whatever NFL Alumni Academy players are allocated to those teams on top of that, which is a new thing that we found out yesterday, along with the supplemental draft. So, you know, I would expect to see teams continue to add and subtract from their rosters throughout training camp. Let's talk about the NFL uh, Alumni Academy graduates. Now, that was obviously the XFL had to do something about those uh, uh, players uh, because there was some promise of training camp spots. And as you pointed out, it was, it was kind of buried in the league's press release. But what that means is that they're going to be assigning more players over and above the 66, probably, right, to each yeah, that's, team. That's what it sounds like. Uh, you know, you, you take into account the NFL Alumni Academy players that have been drafted. I know there is... Uh, Several that were drafted in the November draft. I haven't gone through the supplemental draft to see mm-hmm. how many or, or if any were were drafted through there. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of players who are going to be added onto these rosters spread out across the eight teams. I mean, look, there's going to be 200 plus players who come through the NFL Alumni Academy. Quite frankly, not a lot of them have been signed to NFL teams or practice squads. So the mm-hmm. bulk of those who were promised opt-ins to XFL contracts at the very beginning of the Alumni Academy's season, that expectation is that they would be in XFL training camps if not signed by NFL teams. The XFL very quickly realized that they were not going to have enough spots. I don't know if they made that guarantee sort of hedging against the quality of players that they were going to be able to attract. Maybe this was a fail-safe for them if they were not able to attract quality players that they would have this to fall back on. But the reality is they were able to attract a lot of high quality players in November's draft. And a lot of NFL alumni Academy graduates from the first two sessions did not get drafted and did not get drafted in the supplemental draft. So they were left with the question of, okay, what do you do with these guys? If you're not going to force XFL teams to draft NFL Academy alumni Academy graduates, which I'm glad the XFL didn't force that onto teams because mm-hmm. it should be completely up to the teams as to who they want on their team. But then they had this problem of this guarantee to uh, players that they were going to find a spot in training camp now without a spot in training camp. So they kind of had to do this. They kind of had to add these players. It's an added expense for the XFL because you're, you're, I assume housing these players, you're feeding these players above and beyond the expected 66 that they were going to have on each roster. Uh, It's relatively a minimal expense, I think, but um, I don't know if they're going to be considered officially part of the training camp roster. I don't know if this is kind of like, you know, to me, 
I kind of see it like a practice squad where, yes, they're practicing with this team, but they're not technically on the team. They're kind of like free agents. And I'm wondering if, say, a player practicing with the Guardians but not on their roster could be, let's say, the Renegades have an injury in training camp to one of their 66 players. Could they sign that player who is an NFL Alumni Academy graduate who's been assigned to the Guardians? Or are they under Guardian contract, quote unquote? So a lot of questions, like you said, it was buried in that press release for the supplemental draft. It was kind of a way to uh, to, to it was, um, I guess, a half measure from the XFL's point of view to allow these alumni Academy graduates to be a part of XFL training camp, even though they're not officially part of that 66 man roster. Uh, But hopefully look, I think there is a lot of positives that can come from this relationship between the XFL and the NFL alumni Academy. But if they are going to continue that partnership, there certainly has to be adjustments made to the agreement between the two parties for next year. Yeah, it's very interesting how this will play out. I think you covered it pretty well there. I appreciate that. Now, um, there's so much we don't know. And uh, looking at my socials uh, this morning, uh, I can see defensive linebacker Cecil Cherry is one of those. And he's promoting that angle that he's going to counting on a training camp spot. And as you pointed out, there's a potential 200 graduates from the NFL Alumni Academy. So, I don't know, do the math. 200 divided by eight teams is what um, it's. It's over 20, right? So Yeah, so I mean, a lot of those, some of those players were drafted in November. Right. So they will count against the, and some of them were drafted in the supplemental draft as well. Um, so, you know, and, and some of them, you know, quite frankly, some of those players who graduate from the NFL Alumni Academy, it's an opt-in contract, but they may not decide to opt-in for whatever reason. They may mm-hmm. decide to, right. you know, they may see that their prospects of getting an XFL contract may not be great. Um, so they may decide to go the USFL route. So, it won't be 200 divided by eight necessarily, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of players added onto these training camp rosters. And for these teams, Hey, it's a free look at these guys, right? Right. right. Orlando guardians coaching staff, you know, you're getting a free look at these guys on your team, running your offense, running your defense that don't count against your 66 man roster. So uh, the more the merrier, I think is what these coaching staff should feel. Precisely. Now, if you think about it from the, let's say there's 10 uh, added to each roster, let's just use that as a, as a, I guess then here we have a, a, a training camp team and here's the 66 guys that we wanted on our team. And here's 10 more that we're not sure about those NFL alumni Academy players have a long road ahead of them. Of course, it's up to them to put their game together on a, a training camp and, and win a spot, which is not unusual for a football player. But one of the things I just was thinking about was, who gets which 10 players, if 10 is the number? In other words, is there another draft in a back room somewhere where they're going to say, <laughs> yeah, we'll take this and this? You know, is that how? Because right now, I believe the XFL teams uh, are very competitive against each other. Each, the, each team wants to put together a winning squad and and more so than the other team. So uh, it's the competitive nature of, of forming a team right now, which is yeah. very interesting. It's fun to watch. Now, you almost think the XFL made too many promises. Now, we don't hear much more about the IFL arrangement, mm-hmm. like with the um, the IFL being a farm league for the XFL. You don't hear much about that. I wonder if that's still around. I, I bet it is. but Yeah, I see that you know as more of a, an in-season thing. I think we'll hear more about that. I think 
uh, it's going to be one of those deals where this is a place for the XFL to draw from, uh, you know, maybe even during training camp, but certainly during the season, XFL teams are going to be able to, and the league is going to be able to work out players in season. There's no team nine like there was in 2020. And Oliver Luck made a really good point back then that it's, it's difficult if you're an XFL team in what is really the NFL offseason to sign players who are in shape and ready to be inserted into a roster during the season when injuries come up. And that was the whole reason to have Team 9. You have a, a full squad of players at all different positions who are practicing, who are in shape. Teams don't have a practice squad that they can draw from. So Team 9 kind of played as that practice squad where – Teams, when injuries hit during the season, they could draw from this Team 9 where players were in shape and ready to go. With no Team 9 in 2023, you need a a pool of players to draw from who you know are in game shape and ready to go at a moment's notice when an injury hits. And I think that's kind of how they're going to use that IFL partnership is the IFL will provide a path for its contracted players to move to the XFL during the XFL season, because for much of the XFL season, IFL training camps and IFL season uh, will be taking place as well. So it is kind of like if you think about it like uh, Major League Baseball and its minor leagues, you know, if an injury hits, you call up a guy from AAA, he's there ready to go. And that's kind of how I envision it working with the XFL and IFL. So it really didn't play a part in the supplemental draft. It may not play that big of a part in training camps, but I think once the season starts, you may see that partnership um, in full force. Okay, good point. We'll look for that. Part of me thinks that maybe the XFL made too many promises, but on the other hand, maybe the XFL is smart to be hedging their bets in, in different ways. How much of these about these deals is about locking these player sources down? Maybe it's about sticking it to the USFL. What do you think? Yeah, I, I certainly I think there's a couple ways to look at it, the fir- especially the NFL Alumni Academy. The first is you get high, you get access to high quality talent and there's a path for those players to come right to you. And the side benefit is you're sort of not necessarily locking out the USFL because players could certainly choose uh, to spurn the XFL and go to the USFL. But it makes it easier for players to decide the XFL over the USFL. You could argue the same for the indoor football league. You know, the, the the quality of player is probably not as high as it is in the NFL alumni Academy, or even, uh, you know, some of these players who are working out for NFL teams. Some of the players who won't sign futures contracts who are on NFL practice squads right now, who could end up in the XFL during training camps. So, You know, I think it's just it is a way for the XFL to get players who are in shape during the season. And, yeah, it's a nice side benefit to say, hey, we're working with the IFL, maybe push some of these higher level guys over to us rather than going to the USFL. So I think it's it's a multi pronged uh, system and, and benefit to the XFL. With the USFL, now going back to the draft, now you, I think in the article that you just posted on XFLboard.com, titled Seven XFL Supplementary Draft Takeaways, it's a great article, by the way, Greg. Thank you. Uh, you, you wrote some stats, and USFL rosters expectedly took a hit, as you wrote, 
of the 90 players chosen in the supplemental draft, over 35% played in the USFL in 2022. So a lot of players are jumping from the USFL to the XFL. It looks that way. Uh, you, you never really know until players get into training camp and sign that contract and are locked in. So I guess there could still be movement the other way in the next week or so. But I, I think we expected this to be the case. Uh, Mike Mitchell had been reporting that a lot of USFL players had been doing their due diligence and looking into moving to the XFL. That number may have gone down since the USFL CBA was uh, agreed upon mm-hmm. um, in mid-December, uh, which upped the pay in the USFL quite a bit and made it a lot more on par with what the XFL is offering and in some ways um, better in, in, than the XFL's uh, contracts. And of course, I don't believe anyone has signed an XFL contract yet. So the XFL could decide to rework some of their agreements too and, and sort of raise the bar a little bit in response if they wanted to uh, before players signed it when they arrived at training camp. So uh, a lot of the the players and you look at that 35%, many of those were taken at the very top of the draft. So first, second, third round, a lot of USFL players coming off the board there. Not so much later in the draft, but uh, it was clear that the XFL – and you know the other thing you have to take into account is the XFL also has quite a few former USFL coaches on its staff who went through the first season with the USFL, then moved over to the XFL. So a lot of coaching staffs or coaches are familiar with these USFL players that might make them a little more comfortable grabbing them early on in the supplemental draft uh, than, than otherwise would be the case. So a lot of those players uh, being taken in the early rounds of the supplemental draft. And, uh, you know, again, not a surprise. We expected quite a few USFL players to make themselves available for the XFL draft. And uh, that's what we saw. Yeah, and some of the most important players on any team are the offensive linemen. And you pointed out the first five players selected were offensive linemen. So teams are obviously trying to shore up their O-lines and get the, uh, you know, the the protection that quarterbacks need to succeed. And you also pointed out four of them had played, were former USFL in uh, 2022. So they raided the O-lines of the USFL as well, didn't they? Yeah, for sure. And that was one of the weaknesses of the XFL draft in November. You saw a lot of teams passing when it came to the later rounds. Uh, That was really the only position group that that happened to, actually, uh, where teams were were passing and basically putting their eggs in the supplemental draft basket. And and so I think, you know, USFL players probably saw that and they thought, hey, if you're an offensive lineman, you basically get to choose your your uh, destination because if you're a quality offensive lineman in the in the USFL and you wanted to go to the XFL there was very little risk because you knew you'd end up getting drafted because there were just a lot of holes still remaining from the original draft on these XFL teams and you know certainly if you wanted to stay in the USFL you'd have a place there as well so uh, certainly that was the most popular position group in the supplemental draft and again expected to be the case just because of how many teams passed on those positions later on in the offensive line phase of the November draft. Well, there's still a lot of churn, though, as you pointed out uh, more than once. And uh, also in your article, you talked about the fact there was only one specialist was taken uh, by St. Louis uh, long snapper Alex Matheson. And you pointed out that they had previously drafted rookie long snapper Billy Taylor out of Rutgers. But it's possible that Taylor might not be coming to camp. So that type of turn, 
is something we don't know about, but it seems to be happening. It'll happen behind the scenes, right? Right. There was a December 26th deadline that the XFL had put into place for players who were drafted in November to basically decide whether or not they were coming to camp. Uh, We know with these alternative football leagues, some players put their name in the draft pool, they end up getting drafted, and then they decide for whatever reason not to report. And, you know, that's just the way it is for for every league, whether it's the USFL, XFL, whatever the case may be. That December 26th deadline was put into place because teams needed to know, uh, you know, if you have three offensive linemen who decide not to come to camp, you need to make up that position group in the supplemental draft. So teams needed to know um, what positions they'd need to focus on in the supplemental draft. And, you know, based on the numbers, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of players are declining to come to camp. We saw, you could kind of figure based on how many players were drafted in November for each team and how many players had decided who had signed NFL contracts or had signed USFL contracts, basically how many spots each team would need to fill in the supplemental draft to reach that 66. And there were a couple teams that went beyond that. I posted it in the xflboard.com message board today um, or last night. It's all running together. But um, some teams drafted maybe two over what the expected number was um, because we don't know what players or how many players decline to come to training camp uh, next week. And so it, it looks like it's a very small number. You know, it's possible St. Louis just wanted to provide some competition at the long snapper position and that Taylor will come to camp, but it's also possible that they, you know, without Taylor, who was the only long snapper they drafted in November, they needed someone for that position. So they drafted Matheson in the supplemental draft. You know, it must be a whole lot of fun in those coaches rooms right now. (laughs) I think it is a lot of fun right now because they have their 66 guys. They know exactly what players they're going to bring to camp. They can start planning out, okay, how many reps do we need to give each guy for each Uh, drill and how many reps are we going to give and and things like that. So I think right now is the most fun you've gone through. You've acquired the players. You have your roster that you're going to see face to face uh, next week when practices start. So I I think there's there probably is a sigh of relief now, now that all players have been drafted Hmm. and um, you you have an idea of what players you're going to go to camp with. From that point of view, you're right. Uh, there must be a, a pause right now saying, yeah, we think we got it. Uh, my thought is also that they're always looking for better talent. So oh, maybe, sure. and especially once the training camps start, they might find out that some of the talent that they thought they had was not is not uh, as good as they thought. And you might, you might see teams also now start building their free agent board. Uh, looking at the players, you know, they have access to the players who were in the mm-hmm. supplemental draft pool. They know who was not drafted. And you might see teams start saying, OK, if we have an injury at a position, if you know, there's somebody who we need to cut at a position, who, who are we going to fill from the free agent pool um, at that position? So you, you might see teams right now in the background start building those free agent boards based on who went undrafted in the supplemental draft and sort of seeing who they might want to bring in if there's an injury or if they need to cut a player. Right. So much interesting things happening. Now, I'm going to say the next point just to torture some former D.C. Defender fans and that Cardell Jones is now (laughs) with the Massachusetts Pirates of the IFL. And yeah, so he has a 
he has a path back to the XFL, technically, doesn't he? He does, but he was also reported to uh, be in the draft pool. And, right, um, he was. Yeah, and and he attended one of the summer showcases. Right. So clearly, you know, even though he signs with the IFL, his intention was to get back to the XFL, which is a higher level of of right. football than the IFL. So by going to the IFL, playing for the Massachusetts Pirates, as you mentioned, it could give him a path back to the XFL if a quarterback gets injured. We've seen. You know, most quarterbacks have been assigned so far. They had the the quarterback draft at the end of the November draft, uh, but most quarterbacks have been assigned. So, um, you know, teams have not chosen to have Cardell Jones assigned to them. So he's a free agent out there, even though he is in the IFL. So uh, it goes back to injuries in training camp, ineffectiveness in training camp. Teams may be looking for quarterbacks, and by going to the IFL, by trying to stay sharp within the game that does give Cardell Jones maybe a leg up on some of the other players who uh, are still undrafted in the XFL draft pool who teams may also consider. That's interesting because, you know, I'm not a Cardell Jones fan, by the way, but a lot of people are. And then a lot of people are on the other end of the spectrum, of course. But, you know, Cardell had such a hot and cold um, outings uh, during XFL 2020. He was hot. He was cold. You know, I'd be interested to see that he puts his career together in the IFL and he makes a shot back. I think that would be a fun story, uh, although I'm not counting on it, um, but it would be a fun story. Now, the other uh, interesting point from the uh, draft, that something that I like, is the San Antonio Brahmas selected Ranthony Tejada, who played for the Guardians in 2020. Now, Anthony is someone who I interviewed on this podcast, so I'm, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I, I think he's a great young player. He played for the Ottawa Rough Riders during the pandemic in the CFL, and he was dealt to the Montreal Alouettes. But his plan all along was to come back to the XFL, which he once he got out of his contract with the CFL, he came back and they selected him. Now, keep in mind, he has an old... He's the older brother of Rally Tejada, who was a DB, who was earlier drafted by the Houston Roughnecks. Yeah. So that's a talented family, and they're both playing in Texas teams where the <laughs> where the family's from. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fun story, and that's the kind of story you anticipate the XFL taking advantage of on these broadcasts and with their social media and things like that. So uh, certainly an angle to take, especially when the Brahmas end up playing the Roughnecks, whenever that may be. Uh, we assume that they're going to play each other, but but we have no idea as we sit here right now on January 2nd. Yeah, so we don't have a schedule yet. I know that's a point of contention. Besides the schedule, what else does the XFL need to do before they kick off? Well, they need to find a stadium for the Vipers. That would uh, that would be helpful. Uh, those are really the big two situations that need to be resolved. And I think that it's probably related those two issues are related the fact mm-hmm. that we haven't seen a schedule yet is likely related to the viper stadium situation uh, i can't imagine the xfl not releasing a schedule if they had it if, if they were independent of each other i can't imagine them waiting this long choosing to wait this long to uh to reveal the schedule but i think those are really the only two and those are two very big things admittedly i mean you go on social media and these poor social media managers for these teams any, anytime they post anything they've got people harping on them in the comments when's the schedule going to be released when's the schedule going to be released and they, it's not up to them like they don't they know as much as we do all, all we know is we've been told it's coming soon well we've been told that for the last two or three weeks 
those are really the only two. I think once training camp starts, I think everything is basically set. Coaching staff, the teams continue to add to their coaching staffs. We just saw that Tory Woodbury, former NFL quarterback, was hired by the St. Louis Battlehawks to coach tight ends and special teams. So you might see a few more coaches added to these staffs where there are some holes in the coaching staffs with position coaches and things like that. But otherwise, I think basically everything's ready to go other than those two. Um, but that's like saying, well, this car is ready to go except for the engine. Like once we get the engine in, this car is going to be so. There, there, there are some very big pieces missing right now. But once those big pieces eventually fall into place, and we expect them to fall into place soon, um, really, it's it's on the field and go time. You know, I keep checking my email to see whether the schedule's been sent out. Um, yeah, so I think soon is a good point. Um, the fact that it has to happen soon now. And why does it have to happen soon? So they can sell tickets, right? Right. We, individual tickets have not gone on sale yet because we don't know when the games are. So it's really kind of a domino effect, right? We, we don't know when the games are. We don't know when uh, the games are broadcast on TV. We don't even know really what day of the week these games are going to be on. Um, so we don't know what channel they're going to be on because ESPN can't release a schedule without the XFL releasing a schedule. Um Fans can't start planning road trips in, to these games yet because we don't have a schedule. So it's a domino effect of the things that are on hold because we don't have a schedule yet and because we don't have a stadium for Vegas yet. I, remember, I mean, we're, we're less than 50 days out from the first weekend and the Vipers haven't sold one season ticket yet. You, know, they, you can't sell season tickets if you don't know what the stadium is. So um other teams have been able to sell season tickets. We don't really know how those sales are going yet, but Vegas hasn't even been able to do that. And and that's, it's a big red flag. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, that could be rough for Vegas. It's a, a market that did not expect to uh, sell a whole lot of tickets. I mean, uh, um, yeah, that, that was, that never really struck anyone as a strong market. So the ticket selling staff in this city are really behind the eight ball there. They really can't, uh, uh, get anything done. Uh, I imagine they've got a bunch of uh, corporate season tickets uh, lined up. Maybe they're uh, selling in that way, but yeah, they can't nail anything down until they get a get the schedule. And 47 days prior, right now, they they probably have everything slotted in. But again, you know, it's I think when when the stadium is announced for Vegas, you're going to see a lot of schedule-related information all being put out at once. And I wouldn't be surprised if they announced the stadium and tickets and the schedule all in one day. Because, you know, you've got to announce the schedule, you've got to announce that individual tickets are on sale, you've got to announce the stadium. There's just no room anymore. There's no time to stagger those announcements going forward. And with that's going to come, you know, the ESPN schedule of, of games and hopefully who's going to start calling the games because we don't know who the broadcasters are going to be yet either. Um, so I think you're going to see these announcements all kind of hit at the same time, if for only because there's no time to stagger those announcements anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, bring it on. There's <laughs> I not hear much. You. I feel there's not much way. you can. There's not much you could do about it now. There, XFL. Just, just get it out there. How much is this XFL going to rely on ticket sales? Um, I, I, that's hard to say because we don't know. We don't know what their deal is with ESPN financially. Um, if it was a huge money deal, we could say, well, ticket sales are kind of the icing on the cake. It's not something they need. They can survive with the ESPN deal. Um, 
you know, if the ESPN deal is not for much money at all, we can say, yeah, the, the ticket sales all of a sudden take on an added importance because you need to get revenue wherever you can get it. And and to be honest, even if the ESPN deal pays them handsomely, you know, no startup football league that costs millions of dollars to start up is going to um, turn their nose at any monetary, uh, any way they can make money. So ticket sales behind, you know, maybe advertising and certainly rights fees, that's going to be the number two or three driver of revenue for the XFL. So it is important. And I think that's why fans are really concerned because we don't know how much Redbird Capital is willing to put into this project, nor do we know for how long. We don't know how much they're getting from ESPN, if anything, financially. So the fact that they haven't been able to sell a single individual game ticket is concerning because we acknowledge that ticket sales is an important revenue driver for a league like the XFL. Um, You know, it wasn't so much with the USFL last year because they did the hub thing and they didn't sell a lot of tickets. But when you're in home markets and the expenses that takes to run in home markets and to hire uh, boots on the ground in those markets for advertising, for ticket sales, for all all of that jazz, um, you need to make that money up some way. And ticket sales is a big way to do it. And if you're not able to sell tickets, that's a problem. There needs to be ticket sales, um, especially if the you know, the, and I'm saying if, but I shouldn't say if, when the XFL makes it through year one, and the investors like uh, Redbird Capital look at the balance sheet and they see something there for ticket sales and it's not as high as they expected, that's going to be a point mm-hmm. for year two. In other words, what are we going to do about this? Do we continue on with our investment? I mean, do we get out of this thing? Um, yeah, so I mean, I think ticket sales, no matter what, is also is an important line on the balance sheet. Uh, XFL needs to address that. Now I know they're working hard getting uh, The Rock out there, and I uh, turned on my TV on New Year's Eve and checked out the uh, the broadcast from Times Square, and then a little pop up came up and it was The Rock and Danny Garcia wishing everyone a happy New Year. So they're pushing the XFL here and there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do too. And I think it will. Um, you know, the the fans that the XFL needs to attract to keep the engine running with this league, they're not the fans who are paying attention to the ticket situation, paying attention to the schedule situation, paying attention to the Vegas stadium situation. The XFL is actually lucked out in that the mainstream sports media has not picked up on this situation. Um, so it's not in the consciousness of a lot of fans, you know, ESPN's not reporting that, gee, you know, they don't have a schedule yet. Mm-hmm. Pro football talk is not reporting. Gee, they don't have a stadium for Vegas and they're less than 50 days from kickoff. So a lot of these ills, are running under the radar in the sports media, which is advantageous to the XFL right now, because again, the people that they're going to have to attract, you know, they've got the hardcores like you and me who are going to watch, but that's not enough to sustain a league of this size and a league that has the, um, the desires that this league has uh, to be as large as it wants to be and to do the things that it wants to do. They're going to have to attract that regular Joe football fan who may not be paying very close attention right now to every little thing that's going on in the XFL. So 
they're going to have to Danny Garcia, the rock, everybody else is going to have to get out there. ESPN is going to do their part. Um, they've got, you know, college football games, the bowl games that they've advertised on and, and things like that. NFL playoff games that they're going to advertise on. And they're going to really have to start that advertising push and continue it. We've seen over the last few weeks, uh, advertisements on uh, Monday night football. And so they're going to have to continue that to start getting the XFL into the consciousness of the football fan so that they're aware of it and they'll want to tune in on February 18th. Right. Well, I hope it all works now. uh, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm obviously cheering for the XFL and, and, you know, I'm one of the things I'm happy about with this league and, and continue to be happy about is their, the way they've provided football playing opportunities for players. And there are a lot of players out there that are looking for a spot to play, which means when it comes to the competition between USFL and XFL for players, it's really not really an issue for those two leagues because there's lots of players. Um, You know, they might want to stick it to each other and steal each other's players, but there's more where that came from, which is a a good situation to be in. And and I'd like to also say uh, any players that – did not get selected in the draft or the supplemental draft to keep sticking it out and know that you're still in that, uh, you know, you're still in that draft pool because a lot of things happen and they, a lot of things happened in 2020 with players being chosen at the last minute or selected and brought in um, at the last minute. Uh, Dantes Bird for the Seattle Dragons receiver. He's a good example. And where is he today? He's on the, he's been drafted into the XFL today again. So I mean he stuck it out. So you got to be like like Mr. Bird and uh, and stick it out and and do your thing. So my last question for you, Greg, is this finally the year for the XFL? <laughs> I wish I knew the answer to that. Um, I think if you had to- asked me in 2020, January 2nd, 2020, the same question, I would have said absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then a once in a century pandemic hit and shut everything down. So mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to make that prediction because there are a lot of variables that are out of the XFL and Redbird Capital and Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia's hands that could complicate matters. I won't say cause the, the league to shut down again, but it, it could complicate matters um, with what the XFL has done so far. I think they have a path to success. Um, what success means, you know, to me, success is simply making it to year two at this point. It, it, the, the bar is pretty low for the XFL, right? They, they just need to make it to year two because that's something that neither XFL 1.0 nor 2.0 has been able to do. Uh, obviously, the ownership group has a lot loftier expectations for the league than that. But take it one step at a time, get to year two. And I think... The way things are lined up, they have a good shot at that, even with the USFL as competition, something they had not had um, in either of the two previous incarnations. They did not have the kind of competition that the USFL will provide for um, interest for uh, players, things like that. But I think you're right. You know, this is the, the one concern about the XFL and USFL coexisting was, is there enough quality players to sustain two major football leagues underneath the NFL. And I think with when you look at the rosters of the XFL and you look at the, the rosters of the USFL, I think the answer is a resounding yes. 
And there are still a lot of players who are NFL free agents who will become free agents at the end of the NFL season once practice squads dissolve, um, who could, you know, even improve XFL and USFL teams beyond where they stand today. So that is a good thing. Um, The XFL seems to have a competent ownership group. They have uh, what seems to be a dedicated TV partner in ESPN. They have some top tier players. They are in markets like St. Louis and Seattle, which have shown and San Antonio even have shown that they are capable of supporting a league like this and teams like this, which is a positive. Um, So I think the ingredients are there. Uh, you know, you got to get the stadium situation resolved. You got to get the schedule out. Those are the two big stumbling blocks that that still need to be cleared. But that's kind of a, a when, not if question. So I think that the pieces are in place to have success. And the other thing is, I think to me, Vince McMahon's ownership of the league in both incarnations was more a business decision about cashing in, especially in 2020. He wanted to cash in on the television rights boom that was happening with sports. And it was it was a business decision for him. And I think part of it also was an ego thing. The XFL was his biggest failure outside of professional wrestling. And I think he there was an ego thing where he wanted to revive it and have success and stick it to those people. It was really his last opportunity to show pundits who said, you know, Vince is a great wrestling promoter, but he but his businesses outside of wrestling have failed. And I think he wanted to show people this was his last gasp to really show people that he could do he could have success outside of wrestling. It wasn't as much about the football. I mean, Vince is not a football fan. He couldn't name you 10 active football players. Um, you know, it wasn't a passion thing for him. Whereas you look at Danny Garcia and you look at Dwayne Johnson and with Dwayne's story of being that player 54 of wanting to be an NFL player, but just not being good enough. And so when you have that passion for this project that Dwayne, Gar- Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia have, and to a lesser extent, Redbird Capital. I think that gives you a little more confidence that this isn't just this isn't just a side project. This isn't just something to do to earn yourself a lot more money. Yeah, that's a nice incentive, but it's also about it's also personal for them. And I think Danny Garcia takes very seriously the moniker of being the first female owner of a professional sports league. I think she takes that very seriously. Um, so that that reassures me that if things don't go exactly as according to plan in year one, they're going to say, ah, you know, let's toss it aside and let's move on. Uh, there is a connection here beyond the monetary for these owners. Mm-hmm. And, and that is. That's reassuring to me as a fan as well. Well, that's you know, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point in the comparison of the. Of how the uh, the ownership groups are between 2020 and and the today, uh, yeah, you made a very good valid point there. So it is a different type of ownership, and the owners have more certainly different uh, vested interest in 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 the success of the league. Uh, Vince McMahon actually succeeded, in my opinion, he succeeded in creating an XFL that was successful. 
Uh, I mean, he didn't invent the coronavirus, but he he put together that league that that actually methodically uh, reimagined football, which yeah, it was a success. So all the kudos to Vince McMahon and. You know, and somewhere in the back of my head, I get the feeling that one day you're going to see him back associated with the XFL. Oh. I don't know how, but he, uh, yeah, I just can't see him sitting on his hands, even though he's retired now. Um, yeah. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll be an investor uh, soon, but who knows? Who knows with him? Uh, but it's, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You've revealed a lot of interesting things for, uh, to me and for our fans of this podcast and XFL fans, and don't ask me if this is the year for the XFL. I won't answer that question. You attempted to answer it, so I give you all the kudos <laughs> I, to that. I tried really hard to kind of give a roundabout answer. It's just, it's, like I said, you know, everything can go right just as it did in 2020, and then you can have something that's completely out of your control derail it. So, um, I, w- I won't even say what those things are, because uh, there was a podcast back in 2020 where uh, myself and Mike Mitchell actually talked about that, and we actually gave some examples of what could stop the XFL. And pandemic was not one of them. We, it yeah. should have been. Yeah, it should have. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nice chatting with you, Greg. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure, Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Greg Parks. It's always fun to hear your take on the XFL. I look forward to your coming articles on XFLboard.com and reading your posts in the XFL Board discussion forums. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. You are more than welcome to come back next time, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra the xflboard.com podcast.